Book Four, Chapters Thirteen to Fifteen of Amadis of Gaul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Amadis of Gaul by Vasco de Lobea. Translated by Robert Southey. Book Four, Chapter Thirteen. How the news of the defeat of the Romans and the taking of Oriana came to King Lisuarte and what he did thereupon. That day, whereon King Lisuarte had delivered his daughter Oriana to the Romans, hard and cruel as he had been to her in this marriage, yet he could not hear without pity her cries and lamentation, which were so grievous that there was not a man in the world who could have heard them without compassion. The tears against his will came into his eyes, and he turned back more sorrowful at heart than he would let be seen in his semblance, now when he came to his palace he found both men and women there making great moan for the departure of oriana nor could the strict command which he gave any way prevail or abate this for that princess was more honoured and better loved by all than ever was other person in great britain he looked round his palace and saw no knights there as he had been used to see them except only brandoyas who told him that the queen was lamenting in her chamber so he went thither but there also he could see none of the princesses and dames and damsels who were wont to be in her company, and when he beheld how deserted the place was, and how greatly changed from what it had been, there came a cloud over his heart, and he had no power to speak. But when the queen saw him enter her apartment, she fell down in a swoon. King Lisuarte raised her up, and held her in his arms till her senses returned, and when he saw that she was somewhat recovered, he said to her, lady it neither beseems your prudence nor your virtue to be thus cast down by what is no calamity but instead of that great honour and good fortune if you wish to preserve my esteem and love let this be the last display of such weakness your daughter is not so despoiled but that she ought to be esteemed the greatest princess of all her race to this the queen made no reply but fell with her face upon the bed sobbing in great agony the king then left her and returned to the hall. There he found none but King Arban of North Wales and Don Grumedan, both showing by their countenances and demeanour the sorrow which at heart they felt. And though King Lisuarte was of great heart, and could beyond all other men conceal his thoughts, yet was it manifest how deeply he was now afflicted. But he thought it would be well to go hunt in the woods, till time should remedy what he felt, and he bade King Arban give command that the tents should be made ready, and all things needful for the chase, for he would go out on the morrow. That night he would not sleep in the queen's chamber, lest his presence might increase her grief. Early in the morning he heard mass and departed, but when he saw with how poor a company he was now attended, he who was so desirous of the company of good knights, and who had once had the best of the world in his household, in spite of himself, he could not choose but be greatly troubled. But fortune now was bent to give him real cause for grief, and make him forget this displeasure which was brought on by himself. For some of the Roman prisoners who had made their escape from the firm island, learning where the king was, came to him, and told him everything as it had happened in their sight. How much soever King Lisuarte felt at such tidings, so unexpected and so nearly concerning him, with a good countenance as kings used to put on, he made no show of displeasure, but answered, 
I am grieved, my friends, for the death of Salustanquidio and for your loss. But as for what regards myself, I am used to receive injuries and to give them in return. Remain ye in my court, and ye shall be assisted with all things needful. Upon that they kissed his hand and besought him that he would remember their companions and those lords who had been taken with them. Be not troubled for them, replied the king. That shall be remedied in a manner befitting my honour and the honour of your master. Then he bade them go to the city where the queen was, but charged them to say nothing of what had happened till he should return. Three days King Lesuarte remained hunting in the forest in such mood as you may imagine. Then he returned to the city, still bearing a cheerful countenance. Forthwith he went to the queen's apartment, and she who was one of the noblest women in the world, and the most prudent, seeing that it nothing availed her to show her sorrow, appeared more tranquil. The king ordered all her attendants to leave the chamber, and seating himself beside her, said, "'In things of little moment, which by chance may fall out to trouble us, there is some license allowed for the expression of grief and sorrow.' which, as they are produced by slight evils, may by slight remedies be removed. But in great wrongs that afflict us greatly, more especially when they concern our honour, it is far otherwise. The feeling expressed must be little, and the severity of vengeance great. To come to the point, you, Queen, have felt the loss of your daughter, according to the custom of mothers, and you have shown what you have felt as others do at such marriages, and I rejoice that you have so soon taken consolation. But this which hath followed is of such a nature that little grief must be shown, but heavy amends earnestly and heartily sought. The Romans who departed with our daughter have been with all their fleet destroyed, or taken, or slain with their prince Salustanquidio, and she herself, with all her dames and damsels, made prisoner by Amadis and the knights of the firm island, where they have carried them with triumphs and rejoicings. So signal a thing as this hath never before been perpetrated in the memory of man. Now, therefore, it behoves us, you prudently as a woman, and I strenuously as a king and knight, to remedy our honour by deeds, and not by idle resentment of sorrow." When Queen Brisena heard this, she remained for a while silent, for she was one of the women in the world who best loved her husband, and was aware in such a case as this, and with such men, it was far better to make peace than to encourage discord. Therefore, she replied, Sir, greatly as you must needs feel this, yet when you judge it, you should recollect the time when you yourself were an errant knight. You know what complaints and lamentations Oriana and all her damsels made for so long time, so that it was everywhere known, and all men believed great force was done her. It is not to be wondered at that these knights, as men whose profession it is to succour all distressed damsels, should have dared attempt what they have achieved. But, sir, though she be your daughter, yet as you have delivered her up to the ambassadors of the emperor, the injury is to him and it behoves you to act now with moderation, lest you should appear to be chiefly wronged, for if you do otherwise the offence can no ways be dissembled. The king answered, Bear now in mind, dame, what becomes your honour as I said before. For me, by God's help, I shall take such amends as will become your rank and mine. 
Then King Lisuarte went to his palace and called for King Arban of North Wales, and Don Grumedan and Guillaume the Pensive, who was now recovered from his sickness. And being apart with these, he told them all that had befallen, for these three knights were they in whom he chiefly trusted. And he besought them to consider what was the cause best befitting his honour, and to take due deliberation before they advised him. The king also remained some days pondering what he should do, but Queen Bersina remained full of sorrow for the great rigour of the king her husband, and because he had now for his enemies these knights who would rather die than lose one jot of honour, this also she knew was her husband's temper, and therefore she thought all other dangers that ever heretofore had threatened him were light to this. While she was in this trouble, revolving what remedy might be devised, there came in one to say that Durin, the brother of the damsel of Denmark, was arrived from the firm island and would speak to her. The queen gave order that he should be admitted, so he entered and knelt before her, and kissed her hand, and gave her a letter from Oriana, her daughter. But when the queen took it, the tears came into her eyes for the loss of her child, and for the thought that she should never again recover her unless it pleased the mercy of God to remedy this evil. And she could not speak, nor ask anything of Durin, till she had read the letter. Chapter 14 Of the letter which the Princess Oriana sent to Queen Bersina, her mother, from the firm island. The letter was in this fashion. Most high and mighty Queen Bersina, my lady mother, I, the sorrowful and unhappy Oriana, your daughter, send with all humility to kiss your feet and hands my good lady you know how my ill fortune being to me more contrary and evil-minded than to all other women that ever have lived or will be made me be banished from my own country with exceeding cruelty on the part of the king my father and on my part with such grief and agony of heart that i myself marvel how i could have lived through it a single day but that fortune prepared for me a remedy more cruel than the wretched sufferings which I had expected. For in the first state I should have died, and that would only have been the death of an unhappy wretch for whom death was more desirable than life. But in this which has happened, unless you under God have compassion upon me, not I alone, but numberless others who have no fault herein, must miserably end their lives. For it has pleased God who knew the wrong and cruelty that have been done me, that the knights of the firm island met and destroyed the Roman fleet, and carried me and all my dames and damsels to the firm island, where I am now treated with the same reverence and decorum as if I was in your royal house. And because they are about to send certain knights to the king my father, with intention to procure peace, if any concession may be made in my favour, I have thought it well to write thus before they can arrive, beseeching you by the tears which I now am shedding, and do perpetually shed, that you will in goodness entreat the king my father to have pity on me, and consider the service of God more than the glories and honours of this world, and not put his own fortunes upon hazard, for he knows better than any other the great force and injustice that he has done to me, nothing deserving it. Having read this letter, the queen told Durin not to return till she gave him an answer, but that she must first speak to the king. And Durin then told her that the princesses and dames and damsels who were in her lady's company all sent to kiss her hands. Brisina, 
then sent to request the king to come alone to her chamber that she might speak with him so soon as he entered she fell on her knees before him weeping and said sir read this letter which your daughter oriana has sent and have mercy upon her and upon me the king raised her up by the hand and took the letter and read it and then that he might give her some contentment he said since oriana writes that these knights are about to send ambassadors to me peradventure the embassy may be such as to satisfy for the wrong received if it should prove otherwise you must consider that it is better to support our honour with danger than by avoiding danger to suffer that it should be tarnished he then entreated her to put her trust in god and cease to afflict herself and having said this left the apartment the queen then called for durin and said to him friend durin go and tell my daughter that till these knights arrive and their embassy be known i can give no answer for the king her father can come to no resolution but if any means of peace can be found out i will with all my power labour to procure it and greet her lovingly from me and greet from me likewise all her dames and damsels tell her also that now is the time when she must show what she is chiefly by regarding her own good fame without which nothing to be valued would be left her and also by enduring affliction as becomes one of her high rank for where god hath bestowed rank there also hath he allotted cares and troubles proportionately greater i pray god to protect her and restore her to me with honour so durin kissed her hand and departed but little profit came of this journey nor did oriana receive any hope from her mother's message now the history saith that one day when king lisuarte having heard mass was preparing to eat with his chiefs in the palace hall there came in a squire and presented a letter of credence to him the king took and read and then asked him what he would have and from whom he came sir he replied i am the squire of don quadragante of ireland and come to you with his bidding lisuarte answered say then what you would have and i shall willingly listen the squire made answer sir don quadragante and don brian of monjaste are come into your kingdom with the bidding of amadis and the other princes and knights who are with him in the firm island this they send to notify to you before they enter your court if they may safely appear before you they will come and deliver their embassy but if not they will publish it abroad and return thither from whence they came therefore sir give me answer as it may please you that they may not be delayed having heard this king lisuarte remained a while without replying as every great man ought to do that he may have time to consider but reflecting that no inconvenience could follow from receiving an embassy from his enemies and that it would discover little moderation if he refused he said to the squire tell these knights that they may come to my court with full security and that i will listen to what they have to say with this answer the squire returned don quadragante and don brian hearing this landed from their vessel being armed in goodly arms and on the third day they reached the town where the king then sojourned at such time as he had finished his meal as they rode through the streets great was the concourse of people to look at them for they knew them well and said to each other cursed be the traitors whose villainy hath made our lord the king lose these good knights and so many others from his company but some among them who knew better how it had been laid all the fold upon the king 
because he submitted his prudence to the counsel of scandalous and envious men. Thus they rode along, and having entered the outer court of the palace, they there dismounted and went in where the king was, and courteously accosted him, and he on his part received them with courteous demeanour. Don Quadragante then thus addressed him. It becomes great princes, patiently and without passion, to hear the messengers who are sent to them, for if the embassy should content them, then will they have reason to rejoice that they received it graciously, and if otherwise, the remedy is to be found in a courageous heart and brave resolution, not in angry words. It becomes ambassadors also respectfully to deliver what they have in charge, without fear of any danger that may on that account betide them. The cause of our coming to you, King Lisuarte, is by order and request of Amadis of Gaul, and the other good knights who are in the firm island. They send to tell you that they, seeking adventures abroad to uphold the right and redress wrong, did hear from many that you, following your own will instead of reason and justice, and regarding neither the serious admonition of your nobles, nor the tears of your people, and not having your duty to God before your eyes, determined to disinherit your daughter Oriana, the lawful successor to these your kingdoms after your decease, that you might give them to your younger daughter in her stead. Moreover, not regarding her entreaties and lamentations, that you without mercy delivered her up to the Romans, to be wife to the emperor, against all right, and against her own consent, and against the inclination of all your people. But as things like these are notorious to God, and he it is who gives the remedy, it pleased him that we should hear of this wrong, and that we should redress it, with no will or design to commit injury ourselves, but seeking to remedy what wrong had been committed, which without shame we could not have forborne to do. We, therefore, having vanquished the Romans, have carried the princess your daughter to the firm island, with the reverence and respect due to her nobleness and royal birth, and there we have left her in the company of many noble ladies and knights of high degree, now, therefore, as our intention was only to serve God and uphold the right, these knights sent to exhort you that you will appoint some means whereby this noble princess may be secured from any farther such manifest wrong, and restore to your love as heretofore. If peradventure you bear any resentment against us for what we have done, let that remain for its season." for it is not reasonable the certain right of her cause should be confounded with our quarrel. When Don Quaragante had finished his speech, the king answered him after this manner. Knight, because angry words and severe answers neither increase courage nor make the weak heart strong, my answer shall be brief and given with more patience than your demand deserves. You have done that which in your judgment was most for your honour with overweening pride and with arrogant strength, for little glory is it to rob and conquer those who were voyaging securely as they thought, and with no fear. You did not bear in memory that I, being God's lieutenant, am accountable to him and to none other for my actions. When amends shall have been taken for this, it will be time enough to talk of the accord which you propose. Farther speech would be useful now. Don Brian of Monchaste then answered, Nothing more than remains, now that we know your will, but that each of us prepare for that which most behoves our honour. With that they took their leave and went to horse, 
and Don Grumedan with them, whom the king had commanded to accompany them out of the town. When Grumedan saw that he was out of the king's presence, he said to these knights, My good sirs, I am greatly grieved at this which I have witnessed, for knowing the prudence of the king, and the noble nature of Amadis and of all you, I had good hope that this might have come to good end, but it is all clean contrary to what I hoped, and so must be till it please God to bring about peace and concord. But I pray you tell me, how comes it that Amadis is now in the firm island? For it is long since any tidings have been known of him, though his friends were perilously seeking him in foreign lands. Don Brian made answer, I need not say much to you, Don Grumedan, concerning our quarrel with the king. Certes, we should rejoice if, setting that aside, some means might be found to right the Princess Oriana. But since he will proceed according to his anger, rather than his reason, he shall find the upshot more difficult than the commencement. But as for what, my good sir, you ask concerning Amadis, you must know that till he came to this court calling himself the Greek Knight, in the company with that lady for whom he vanquished the Romans, and won the crown of the damsels, we none of us knew tidings concerning him. Saint Mary help me, quoth Grumedan. Was that Greek knight Amadis? Without doubt he was. Now then, replied the old man, I will tell you that I think myself a man of poor understanding, for I ought to have known that he who performed such feats in arms could be no other than Amadis. And I beseech you, who were the two knights whom he left to help me against the Romans? Your friends, Angriotta of Estovaus and Don Bruneo of Bonamar. God a mercy, if I had known that, I should not have feared the battle as I did. In truth, then, I gained but little honour there, for with such helpers I should not think it much to conquer twice the number of such foes. I believe by your courage, Don Grumedan, said Guadagante, that you alone would have been sufficient. Be I what I may, replied the old man, you have my love and true good will with you, and God grant that this business may yet end well. By this they had gone out of the town, and some little beyond it. Then, as Grumedan was about to bid them farewell, the fair child Esplandian came up to them returning from his sport, and with him Ambor, the son of Angriot of Estervaus. He rode upon a goodly palfrey and well caparisoned, which Queen Brisina had given him, and he was richly clad, for the king and queen liberally provided him with all things, both by reason of his great beauty, and also because of what Urganda the Unknown had written concerning him, and he carried upon his fist a goshawk, so, coming up, they gave each to the other the good day, and Don Brian asked of Grumedan who the fair child was. He is called Esplandian, and was reared in a marvellous manner, said the old knight, and strange things hath Urganda prophesied concerning him. Is this he? quoth Guadagante. We in the firm island have heard much talk of this child. I pray you call him back. Don Grumedan then called to him, for he was passing on. Come hither, said he, and send some bidding to the Greek knight, who in curtsy to you spared the lives of the Romans. Esplandian turned back and answered, Right glad should I be to learn tidings of that noble knight, and know where I could send my thanks, as you say, and as he truly deserves. These knights are going whither he now is, 
"'He tells you truth,' said Don Quadragante. "'We will carry your bidding to him, "'who when he was here was called the Greek knight, "'but is now called Amadis.' "'What?' cried Esplandian. "'Is he the Amadis of whom all men speak so highly?' "'Even so.' "'In truth, highly ought he to be esteemed, "'and his gentleness and courtesy "'are not less worthy praise than his valour. "'I went up to him when he was in wrath, "'and yet he did not for that do me the less honour, and nor refused to grant me the lives of those knights who had greatly incensed him. I thank him truly, and would to God there may come a time when I may, with a like honour, requite him for it. Much were those knights pleased to hear how well the child spake. God make you a good man, quoth Don Bruneo, as good, fair child, as he hath made you fair. I thank you, the child replied, but if God hath reserved any worth for me, I would it were in me now that I might be able to serve my lord the king, who now needs the service of all his people. God be with you, sirs. So he and Don Grumedan took their leave, and those knights proceeded to their ships. Chapter 15 How King Lisuarte asked counsel of King Arban of North Wales, and Don Grumedan and Guyan the Pensive, and what they answered. After those knights had departed, King Lisuarte sent to summon King Arban of North Wales, and Don Grumedan, and Don Guyan the Pensive, and he said to them, You know, my friends, how I stand with the knights of the firm island, and the great insult which I have received at their hands, and certes, if I did not take such amends as should break their great pride, I should not hold myself a king, nor should I think that others would as such esteem me. Therefore, that I may render such account of myself as behoves a prudent man, and that all may be done with due advice and deliberation, I have now sent for you to know your counsel. Then King Arban, who was a good knight, and prudent, and greatly desired to promote the king's honour, replied, These knights, sir, and I, have thought much upon this matter, and consulted together as she required us and we have concluded that since it is not your pleasure to come to any terms of concord with these knights, that you ought with all diligence to prepare the means whereby they may be repressed and their haughtiness curbed. For the knights of the firm island are many and right powerful in arms, as you, sir, well knew, when by the grace of God they were all so long in your service. And more than this, we are assured that they have sent on all sides to demand succour, the which be sure they will find, being of high lineage, sons and brethren of kings and of other great personages, and likewise they have in their own persons made many friends, so that when people come from so many parts to their help, there will be a great host presently raised. But on the other hand, sir, we see that your court and household is more destitute of knights now than we ever remember it to have been, and the greatness of your power hath made you many enemies who will now discover their ill-will for troubles will break out in times of need, like these which are hushed in calm seasons. It is therefore expedient that all your servants and friends should now be called upon, especially the Emperor of Rome, whom, as the Queen has said, this business more nearly touches than it doth you, than when you have seen the power which you can bring together, you may better judge whether to proceed rigorously, or come to such accord as is proposed." King Lisuarte thought himself well advised by this speech, and bade Don Guillaume prepare to go to the Emperor, for for such an embassy such an ambassador was meet, 
Don Guillon answered, In this, sir, and in far more than this, I am ready to do your service, and God grant it may be to the advancement of your honour. Let therefore the dispatches be made ready, that you may be obeyed without delay. There needs nothing more than your letters of credence, said the king. Tell the emperor that in compliance with his demand I gave my daughter to his ambassadors to be his wife, and tell him what hath befallen her, and that the knights have sent to me proffering certain terms, which I, knowing the insult concerned him more than me, would not accept. And say to him that what will satisfy me is that we should surround the place where they detain my daughter, and make all the world know that we, like great princes as we are, have punished these thieves and robbers for the insult and injury which they have offered us. Tell him, then, your own opinion, and say that wrongs of this nature grow worse the longer the remedy is delayed. Don Guillon then received his credentials and went on board. The king then called for Brandoyas, and bade him go to the island of Mongaza and summon Don Galvanus with all his people, and then pass over with the like bidding to King Kildadan of Ireland, and he sent Philispinel to Gasquillon, king of Sweden, to tell him in what state he was, he being a knight who delighted in all occasions wherein he could show his great hardihood and prowess. In like manner he sent to all his other friends and vassals, and ordered all his people to make ready, and set about preparing arms and horses, to have the greatest force of horsemen that he could raise, now the history saith that Archelaus the enchanter, being in one of his castles, and always devising how he could do some mischief, as he and all wicked ones like him are accustomed to do, the tidings came to him of this great quarrel between King Lisuarte and Amadis. Whether he was pleased or no need not be said, for they were the two men in the world whom he most hated, and whose destruction he never ceased to have at heart, and the uppermost thing in his thoughts. At such a time as this he thought he might wreak his will, and because he could not in his heart prevail upon himself to assist either of them, he in his subtlety resolved to raise a third army of those who were enemies both to Lisuarte and to Amadis, and so dispose of them that, if a battle should take place, they might fall on the survivors, and with little peril utterly destroy them. Incontinently he went to horse, and with such a train as was needful set forth travelling by land and by sea, till he came to King Aravigo, who, with the six island kings, had been hardly handled by Amadis and King Lisuarte, as you have heard in the third book of this history. When he came to him, Archelaus said, O oh, King Aravigo, if your heart and resolution be answerable to your high estate, and to the prudence with which you ought to govern, fortune, who was once so much your enemy, hath now so repented, and is ready to make you such amends, that the loss of your honour shall be repaired with double victory. Your revenge is now in your own hands. Our two great enemies, King Lisuarte and Amadis of Gaul, are at such utter discord that there can be no other issue than a great battle, and the destruction of one or peradventure of both. Now, if you will hearken to my advice, you will not only recover the loss which by following my counsel heretofore you have suffered, but your kingdom shall be greatly increased and the possessions of all us who desire your service. Friend Archelaus, replied King Aravigo, the length of way which you have travelled, and your manifest fatigue, make me well believe what you tell me. But let me hear it more at length, for never was it in my will, because of adversity, 
to desist from such enterprises as become the greatness of my person. Then Archelaus related how Amadis had taken Oriana from the Romans and carried her to the firm island. And I would give you to know, said he, that this Amadis was one of those knights of the serpent who were against us in the battle against the other six kings. He it was who wore the golden helmet, and who by his great prowess wrested the victory from your hands. Now as Amadis on the one hand, and King Lisuarte on the other, will gather together all the force they can, and as the Emperor himself will come in person to revenge the great insult which he hath received, you may well judge what destruction there will be in the battle between them. If, therefore, you will summon your companions, I will bring you for allies Barcenon, lord of Sansuena, the son of that Barcenon whom King Lisuarte put to death in London, and, moreover, all the great lineage of that good knight Darden the Proud, whom Amadis slew in Windsor, and there will be a company of right good knights. Moreover, I will bring the king of the Deep Island, who escaped with thee from the battle. We will station ourselves so that after they shall have fought their battle, we may fall upon them and destroy them all, the conquerors as well as the conquered, without difficulty or danger, so that by this great victory all Britain will be subjected to you, and your royal power shall be raised above the power of any emperor upon earth. Look to it now, king, whether for so little toil and peril you will forgo such glory and such dominion. To all this King Aravigo lent a willing ear. Friend Archelaus, he replied, you tell me great things, and though I had resolved to tempt fortune no more, great folly would it be to reject so fair an opportunity. I will prepare my friends and vassals, do you therefore do as you have said? Forthwith Archelaus departed for Sansuena, and spake with Barcenon, bidding him remember the death of his father, and also of his brother Brandalot, who, being conquered by Don Guillaume the Pensive, and carried prisoner to King Lisuarte, was, by his command, thrown headlong from the tower, at the foot of which his father had been burnt. He told him likewise that the former enterprise had succeeded, and that his father would have been king of Britain he having made both Lisuarte and his daughter prisoners, when all was recovered from him by that traitor Amadis. Now Barcenon was young and haughty by nature, and in his evil disposition resembled his father. Archelaus therefore lightly prevailed on him to join in this confederacy. With small persuasion, too, in like manner, did he win the king of the deep island, and all the lineage of Darden the Proud. This did he as secretly as he could, and exhorted them, to have their force ready for the occasion. End of Book 4, Chapter 15